on the Isle of Dragonstone, where fires burn deep and hot. Dragons ascend into the sky, and nothing is beyond their sight. But we mere mortals can see all of Westeros from the painted table. Wolves and lions, krakens and stags. The armies of Westeros are ever ready to rise up and assert their demands. But do dragons bow before the beasts of the land and sea? No, never. We do not bow to the stars in the sky, nor in the sept. We bow before no one. Targaryens rule, and it is for the rest of the world to take a knee or perish in flame. This is a watch party of Ice and Fire. We are your hosts, Solar. Valar Morgulis. Constance. Hello, everyone. Uzma. Greetings, lords and ladies. Seven blessings to you. Morgan. Hi. And myself, Sam. In this podcast, we will be talking everything and anything a world of ice and fire. In this episode, we are going to continue with our history lesson and talk about the kings leading up to the House of the Dragon, Aegon, Aenys, Magor, and Jaehaerys. References of these kings will be seen through statues and carvings throughout the show. Be sure to listen and pay close attention as you can elevate your maester's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia. To kick us off, Uzma is going to start with Aegon the Conqueror. To you, Uzma. I believe his conquest was covered in the previous episode. So we'll now, for now, we'll begin with his reign. After the Field of Fire and the submission of the North, Aegon had marched to Old Town. The city was surrendered by Lord Manfred Hightower and high, the High Septon had anointed him with seven oils and had declared him as the King of the Andals, the Roiner, the First Man, the Lord of the Seven Kingdoms and Protector of the Realm. This day officially begins the reign of King Aegon. Every, anything before that was considered as B, uh, BC, that is before the con- conquest, and every Everything after that is considered as AC, that is after the conquest. Uh, a lot of show fans have asked about this. So after after the crowning of by the High Septon, Aegon decided to rule from Aegon Fort, uh, which is now uh, known as the Red Keep. And the city that grew around it is now known as King's Landing. Aegon forged the Iron Throne uh, from the defeated swords of his and from the swords of his defeated enemies and started the small council with Oris Baratheon as the first hand of the king. And the first law was established that was established in king, uh, was the king's peace, which is uh, which forbade conflict without the leave of the Iron Throne. Aegon allowed the defeated lords to retain uh, their laws and customs. Basically everything remained the same. Uh, except uh, like the law of pits and gallows and the first night, etc. So Aegon didn't change much. Um, he just uh, wanted uh, the lords to, uh, that, that meant the knee to follow him. After that, in uh, two years after uh, 
his crowning Aegon conquered the Iron Islands and despite the suggestions from many people that he should either make the Iron Bonds vessels to the Tullys or Lannisters or just destroy them, Aegon decided to go against their advice and uh, allowed them to choose their own Lord Paramount. If this was Jenny, I believe a lot of people would have said that she was too arrogant or um, she had gone mad. What do you guys think about it? Because uh, we have heard a lot of people say uh, Danny didn't hear to Tyrion's advice or anything. So she's too arrogant and everything. Well, I think Aegon had a lot better grasp of warfare than Daenerys did, right? I mean, he was a conqueror. He had been fighting with all the lords. I think he had a better idea about what he was doing than Daenerys did at that point. She's extremely young and extremely un, 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 unexperienced. So I think that... She basically follows the same... Uh... She follows the same, yeah. But he knew what he was doing when he made those decisions. That's that's what I, I think. Right. There's a difference between being a person who has prepared for years and has armies at their back that they can just beck and call and has strategy and has built the, had the painted table built just so that they can know exactly where and when to strike. Um, and who has always had dragons versus Daenerys, who has been traumatized from a young age uh, and did not always had dragons, had to learn everything from the ground up and was surrounded by advisors who she honestly probably shouldn't have been trusting in the first place. Um, yeah. Because she didn't know most of them. She just kind of had to go with it. Uh, so her position, while she was trying to follow the same tactics as Aegon, her position was completely different. Uh, after conquering the Iron Islands, uh, Aegon turned uh, toward Dawn. Uh, the Dawn... Uh, Dorne was the only kingdom left uh, that uh, after conquering all the other kingdoms. So uh, in 3 AC, that is uh, in his third year as king, uh, Aegon decided to bring them under his rule. At first, he tried diplomacy and uh, tried to do nego nego negotiations. And after one year, uh, when it resulted in nothing, he decided to uh, force them. He started another war. And during this war, Oris, Oris Baratheon, who was the hand of the king and his close friend, was captured. He was returned two years later with his uh, sword hands cut off, along with all his men. And in 10 AC, uh, Queen Rhaenys died uh, when a shot from a scorpion hit uh, Miraxis in her eye, and she fell from the sky along with Rhaenys. Uh, Aegon got really mad around that time, and... Uh, that arise known as the Dragon's Wrath. Uh, Aegon and Visenya placed bounties on the Dornish lords, who in turn placed bounties on the Targaryens. And Aegon was attacked three times uh, during this time, which resulted in the forming of uh, king, the King's Guards. And um, in uh, 13 AC, uh, Princess Jeria Martel brought the Skull of Miraxes as a peace offering. And uh, after that, uh, the remaining 24 years of Aegon's reign were peaceful. Uh, this, uh, these years are called as the Dragon's Peace. Uh, during these years, Aegon tread carefully around the faith. Uh, he built a grand sept of 
except on Vesalia's hill, hill and agreed to build an even bigger one on Rhenus's hill, which is uh, later co which called as the Sept of Remembrance. Egon made many royal progresses during his reign, uh, which is uh, which usually lasted a uh, half a year. Uh, he ordered the construction of massive walls around King's Landing too. He also ordered Aegon Fort to be torn down and to build the Red Keep in its place because Aegon the, he didn't think Aegon Fort was worthy of the seat of a king. He had two sons. His elder son uh, was Aenys the uh, first, uh, who was uh, by Rhaenys, and his younger son Maegor the Cruel was by uh, Queen Visenya. Aegon died in 37 AC from a stroke. And his funeral pyre was set aflame by Vegar. We'll get to see this funeral rite in House of the Dragon as well, uh, as we saw in the new rain trailer. There was a funeral pyre, and uh, it was set aflame by Vegar. So we'll get to see uh, the Targaryen custom of how they uh, do their rituals, uh, the funeral rituals in House of the Dragon as well. So that's all for Aegon the Conqueror. Back to you, Sam. Thank you, Uzma. Uh, what do you all think of Aegon the Conqueror? <laughs> it looks like he fell victim to one of the classic blunders. Never go in against Dorne when sovereignty is on the line. Because, <laughs> yeah, I think last week we talked about how Dorne sending back the hands were like a straight-up baller move out of Titus Andronicus, you know? Yeah. Dorne is amazing. Um, and their strategies, uh, are just, they're my favorite. What can I say? Uh, but what I found kind of heartbreaking a little bit is we know that Aegon's love for Rhaenys far outstripped, at least his romantic love for Rhaenys far outstripped his romantic love, uh, for Visenya. And for Rhaenys to die so early in his reign, uh, what we what year was that again, uh, Uzma? In ten AC. Right. So he still had like twenty seven years left of his reign without her. I just I it it's just sad. I mean, go Dorn, but also, bye Rhaenys. <laughs> See, I got to disagree on that, considering this is the reign of a king. And for him to have had 10 years of reigning as king with the person that he loved is a lot more than most other kings before or since ever got. Like most of the marriages were political arrangements, and this one actually had marriage for love at the same time. So he got 10 years more than the following kings after him did. So I, I can't say that he's sad. I, I can't say that it's sad. I will bring up a, the age-old question. Is it better to have love and lose it than to never have it at all? Oh, no. The cynical answer to that one is um, try it. So, <laughs> What do you think, Constance, about Aegon? I think that he did a good job of setting things up for his dynasty. But, like we discussed earlier, I don't think he went far enough in some regards. He gave people too much freedom to do what they wanted to do at their own land. And because of that, 
things happen. We'll, we'll when I get to the next segment with his son Anis, uh, you'll see what happens because Aegon was too loose in his handling of various elements, and it just went downhill from there. Yeah, he was like a good conqueror. Everyone just wants Aegon to be more of a tyrant. <laughs> he was a good conqueror. He was a tyrant. Why do we have to make him more of a tyrant? That was kind of his only skill. But he did stop the wars. Well, I would, I, I definitely think that the major lesson um, of Aegon the Conqueror was also brought up with Daenerys and um, in response to Marine, which is it's one thing to conquer a kingdom. It's one thing to take land. It's another thing to hold it and a third thing to rule it. So he was really good at that at those first two. Yeah, she tried to do the same thing but didn't succeed. Well, I think the king's piece was more or less it was a oh no, we don't want him to come and kill us again. So I yeah. think that the, the king's piece was essentially fear <laughs> rather than love. I mean, we all love a Death Star plot. The conquering was uh, pretty bloody. <laughs> I wouldn't want to really mess with the guy who just kind of like ran train on Westeros either. So yeah. So. Uh, do you guys think what he did was better for the kingdom or not? Because on one hand, he did stop all the petty wars. So it it did kind of bring peace to the realm. But uh, he also, the war also caused the deaths of a lot of people. So what do you guys think? Mm. I think it's very hard to Talk judge to that. Yeah. Murder, murder thousands of people so they won't kill each other. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if At that end, is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I know. I know from the small person's perspective, it didn't matter. It 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 always from the small folks' point of view, it's, um, you know, all hail the new boss, same as the old boss. You know. You have anything to add, Sam? <laughs> I don't know. It makes me think of that, like, what's that meme from, like, Endgame where it's like, I used the stones to destroy the stones. It's like, I killed the people to kill the people. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad analogy, but, or bad similarities, whatever you want to call it. But that's kind of what I think about how he was like, well, it was going to happen either way. So I thought I'd just, like, speed things up a little bit and then take over all at the same time. So I, I mean, Thanos' strategy is pretty similar. Kill kill half the people so the other half the people live better <laughs> there you go and all was in turmoil until the fire nation came yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, i don't know why this talk is rem uh, reminding me of robert baratheon because his reign was also peaceful but it was also followed by war yeah, because just because someone's good at keeping everybody placated doesn't mean they're good at preparing for what comes next placation like 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 constance was saying and solar have been saying just because you placate to rule longer doesn't mean that your placation is permanent and people won't necessarily react to it well once you're gone and someone else is trying to placate perfect well that's Aegon the conqueror we're going to now move on to Aenys the indecisive constance i believe you're going to be talking to to us about him yeah, King Aenys Targaryen, first of his name, was born in 7 AC, so that's seven years after his father was crowned, uh, to Aegon and Princess, or Queen Rhaenys, his, his true love. And um, he was born small and sickly, and was a very, uh, the, the child was, was 
let's just say he didn't have his father's hale and hearty nature. In fact, when his mother died in 10 AC, he actually regressed to crawling at three years old. And people thought that, oh, this can't be Aegon's son. Look at him. He's, he's, he's got the Targaryen coloring. He's got pale, pale lilac eyes, different from his father's, but still the same shade. He's got pale curly ringlets, but the kid doesn't have anything that his father does. This changed when he was given a dragon hatchling by the name of Quicksilver. And as they say, as Quicksilver grew, so did Aenys. Once he started actually becoming healthier and more robust, then people are like, oh, he has to be Aegon's son. Look at him. He's tamed a dragon. But they completely forgot that his mother was also a dragon rider. So there, there's a little, you know, the little uh, misogyny that goes on there. It's like, oh, it can't be his son because he can't tame a dragon. But mother tamed a dragon, so he could have perfectly legitimately done that. So anyways, uh, he was the opposite of his father in many, many ways. He was so much like his mother. He loved music and poetry and mummers and just beautiful, beautiful things. He wore soft clothes. He was soft-spoken. He tried to make everybody happy. And in doing so, he was very indecisive because he didn't want to commit to one thing or another and upset somebody. Um, he married Alyssa Valarion. So there's always the, the connection between the Valarion family that we'll see in House of the Dragon and with the Targaryens. They're very closely intertwined with each other. He had six children, three boys named Aegon Viserys and Jaehaerys, or Jaehaerys, and three daughters, Rehenya, Alassane, and Vaela. Uh, when Aegon died in year 37 of a stroke, Aenys flew to, Aenys, excuse me, I'm going to say that wrong at least one more time. Uh, he flew to Dragonstone for the coronation, at which time he gave the king's sword, Blackfire, to his brother, Magor, his half-brother. Uh, and that was just kind of symbolic because Aenys was never a warrior. He was more of a talker. He was more of a, of a uh, peaceful kind of sort. So he gave his father's sword to his more warlike, aggressive brother. Now he was crowned. There, there's, there's just, there's a discrepancy about his crown. He was either given a Valerian steel crown with rubies, that was his father's, or he was given a crown in the Starry Sept that had uh, the seven picked out in pearls and jade. But then there's also another rumor that says he was crowned with a golden crown in the Red Keep. So no one's really sure what crown it was that he actually wore. Uh, this does actually kind of come into play later when uh, crowns become an issue with his brother. Now, while he was king, he was seen as weak because he wasn't decisive enough. He didn't have the backing of the lords. So four rebellions popped up during his reign. Uh, the grandson of Heron the Black, supposedly the grandson of Heron the Black, named Red Heron, seized the ruins of Harrenhal. Now, we had talked about Harrenhal during the conquest and how it was completely slagged by Dragonfire. So I wasn't really much of a holding, but nonetheless, it was uh, taken by Red Heron. Then there was Logos, the priest king of the Iron Isles, who was a devotee of the, uh, the drowned god. Then you had the vulture king of Dorne. And lastly, Jono Aris uh, took Eren, took out his brother and secluded the veil. So you had four separate rebellions against his rule. He had no idea why this was happening because he thought that everybody loved him. He, he couldn't understand why would people revolt against me. It was because he was seen as weak. And since he couldn't take any action, he couldn't get his shit together. 
everybody started to do their own thing. Uh, Allard Royce locked up the Airy until Magor showed up, and Magor showed up with a dragon, and that usually solves most problems. Uh, Gora's Greyjoy sent Lodos's head to King Aenys in a pickle jar. And then the Dornish didn't get to a damn thing because they don't give a shit, right? Dorn don't care. Uh, so the marcher lords that were on the border had to conduct what they called the vulture hunt and took him out. And then the king's hand, Alan Stokeworth, led the charge to hunt down Red Heron. He died, but his squire ended up killing Aaron and killing Howard in the process. Now, uh, Anise offered them all fabulous prizes for their for their help. Part of the problem was Gorn Greyjoy asked to kick the faith off of the Iron Islands, which pissed off the faith. Right? They'd been making headroads, they'd been doing conversions with these heathens that worship a pagan god. And uh, yeah, they were all booted off the island, so that that did not well go well. Uh, with with his hand having been killed fighting Red Heron, he named Magor as his hand, and all was good for two two years approximately, when Magor decided that he needed to take a second wife because his first one was barren. Now we'll go into this more when we get into the Magor the Cruel section, but this uh, the Septon and the Faith obviously did not approve of polygamy. Uh, and uh, Aeneas said either go away for five years in exile or give up the second wife Megor peaced out he also took Blackfire with him and said nope you ain't getting this back um, so Aeneas named Septon Myrmicin as his hand the high Septon was still complaining everybody saw him as weak and the only time he ever stood up for himself was when he married his son and his daughter together he married his eldest son and his eldest daughter in traditional Valerian fashion. And when and then he named his son the Prince of Dragonstone, which had been Magor's title. Uh, Visenya, of being Magor's mother, was understandably pissed off that her son's title was stripped away from him. Uh, so he's, uh, Aenus sent his newlywed kids out on progress. People weren't happy to see him, though, because they weren't really approving. In fact, Aegon, his eldest son and heir, had not claimed a dragon. And he didn't want his daughter to ride quickfire, so his son and daughter had to walk or ride in a progress because they couldn't fly, both fly dragons. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I mean, his son not claiming a dragon, marrying his sister in traditional fashion. What, what do you think of the of that situation? Yeah, it's pretty, like, I, I can't, like, I feel like the Aenys coming in and being, like, the indecisive makes a lot of sense with, like, you know, Aegon came in, it's like, kind of showed up, like, hey, what's up? I'm here, I'm new, I'm having a good time. And then it's almost like Aenys comes in and he's like all uncomfortable and awkward. And he's like, uh, why don't you like me? I thought, you know, you liked my dad. Like, why can't you like me too? You know, like, it was kind of like, it's almost this awkward, like the Targaryens are like weirdly kind of figuring out like how to handle this like new country that they've like, taken over in a way and they're still like getting used to things and like have no idea like what to do so like and and Amy's is just like trying to figure anything out and then his brother's over here like just like throwing beer cans around punching people like saying fuck you fuck you you're cool like just all kinds of stuff like it's like kind of like funny the like how like Amy's is just like I'm just trying to do whatever works and Magor's just kind of like fuck it 
and Aegon never uh, sorry Aenys never wanted to punish anyone and that's why uh, he was considered weak like can you imagine uh, people rebelling against uh, Aegon if he married his son and daughter they only did it because they uh, didn't think Aenys will be able to punish them properly or uh, they will get uh, hurt in any way yeah they, they knew they could get away with it yeah, it it actually gets a little a little worse uh, with what with what Aenys does. Um, so after he married the children to each other, the Faith actually excommunicated Septon Mermison for performing the wedding ceremony in the first place. And then Aenys sent a letter to the High Septon explaining Valerian marriage customs and how he's just participating in his cultural heritage. We all know how that goes. And uh, the faith said, you're an abomination. Buck you. This is a problem. And the faithful lords uh, started to turn even more against Anis. And the faith militant caught up with Mermison and chopped him into tiny little bits. Uh, two assassins from a group called the Poor Fellows snuck into the palace and nearly killed Anis, except for the king's guard, uh, his loyal friend Raymond Baratheon. Visenya said, bring fire and blood down on the faith. Burn the starry step. Smoke them all. You have to show some backbone. But he dithered again. He did not follow through. So the faith saw that he was weak. And the faith militant rose up. And uh, the poor fellows went after anybody that was a loyalist. Over a dozen soldiers took place. And by 41 AC, after his father's reign, most of the realm was in open revolt at that time. And uh, King Anis died at 35 years old. They said that he looked twice his age, haggard and, and worn. And uh, some suggest that his aunt Visenya actually poisoned him because he had taken ill and she came to help nurse him back into health. And then he died. And conveniently enough, the throne then passed to her son, Maegor the Cruel, as he's nicknamed. So King Anis, the indecisive as I dub him, thus died. And then we have the reign of his half-brother, Maegor. Hello everyone, my name is Jordan Reynolds, and with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes, super small, and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the way. So if you want a Hobbit Hole bookmark, or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch Vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WATCHPARTY10 to get a 10% discount. That's 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. So now I'm going to go over, as Constance said, Mager the Cruel. Uh, Mager was Visenya and Aegon's son. Um, 
Nagor was, uh, he's an interesting fellow, known for his battle prowess. He carried uh, Blackfire. Um, upon Aenys' death, uh, Magor came back from exile with Blackfire. Um, I believe Visenya actually went over and got him, which makes the whole situation with Aenys' death a little bit more sketchy. Uh, he came over, he went to Dragonstone, and was crowned with his father, Aegon's Valyrian Blacksteel uh, um, crown, instead of the one that Aenys decided to be crowned with. Um, at this time, uh, Aenys' son was actually besieged at Craig Hall by the Faith, so there was no way for him to become king. Um, wow, George. The Grand George, Maester at the time George, actually protest, really? pro, uh, protested really? what um, was happening with Magor, and Magor just beheaded him and decided, no worries, I'm king, it's all good. Uh, Magor's first decision as king was flying into uh, King's Landing that had been pretty much taken over by the Faith at this point. Um came in and challenged anyone who challenged his claim um and the warrior sons who were basically the swords of the faith militant challenged him uh their grand champion Damon Morrigan uh challenged the uh king himself and they decided to do a trial by seven uh Magor at the time did not have any of the king's guard with him uh, he didn't really have any soldiers with him, so he kind of just made an open roster. He got up there, and he's like, hey, who's going to fight with me? Um, no one said anything until, and this is a real name, Dick Bean, uh, decided to step on up and say, yeah, I'll fight with you. <laughs> Let that just sit in for a second. <laughs> yeah, that's a real name. Yes, I am and the mighty... Dick Bean, fear me. <laughs> and to make like and to make things even better, uh, the next person to step up was named Bernard Brune, and his what he said to get the rest of the men into this uh, trial by seven. He said, "This Bean shames us all. Are there no true knights, no leal men?" So essentially, Dick Bean shamed all these other knights to step up and fight for. Uh, Magor the Cruel, you can't make this shit up. Or I guess you can, that's exactly what this is. Uh, and uh, in this trial by seven, Magor was the only survivor but was knocked unconscious. Thirteen days later, after his second wife, Alice Haraway, uh, returned with Tiana of the Tower. Tiana was a courtesan of Pentos, and it was rumored that she was a sorcerer that messed in like dark magics. Um, she nursed uh, Magor back to health. Uh, it was also um, rumored that she was not only Magor's mistress, but potentially Alice's mistress as well. Um, and Magor <laughs> just started, or he uh, kicked off right where he left off, got on Beleriand the Dread, uh, went to the Sept of Remembrance, and just burned the whole thing down. Anybody who tried to escape was uh, killed by his archers, and in place of the Sept of Remembrance, he decided to construct the Dragon Pit, which we'll get into a little later. From there, um, he took on Tiana the Tower as his third wife. Uh, marrying her, again, angered the Faith uh, even more. Um, the, at this time, um, 
Magor really got into the construction of the Red Keep. Um, he was the reason that it has secret passageways. Um, he also wanted the castle within a castle, aka Magor's Holdfast. And he's also responsible for the four levels of dungeons. Uh, he made the bottom one specifically for torture, you know, because four levels of dungeons just... You gotta have a torture level, obviously. Um... And then on top of this, laws against the faith were, were made. Uh, he forbade the holy men from carrying arms. Uh, the faith militant uh, also continued with their rebellion as the Red Keep was being constructed. But since Megar was too busy, they kind of just went for it. Eventually, uh, Visenya went on Vagar and Megar went on Balerion and just went up burning lords and ladies all over the place. Anyone who was against his kingdom, he just was burning all of them. Eventually, he was going to go to Old Town, but the High Septon suddenly died, and Lord Martin Hightower was like, okay, well, we're just going to let him in because this is insane. Uh, at this time, um, while Magor was in Old Town, he actually reconciled with his first wife, Ceres Hightower, and she returned to King's Landing. At the, and then after this, we have probably, I guess, maybe our first kind of Targaryen civil war where Aegon II uh, claimed the Iron Throne against Maegor. Uh, this led to the battle beneath the God's Eye, which ended with Maegor and Balerion slow, sl slaying uh, Aegon on Quicksilver. From here, this is when Maegor was known as Maegor the Cruel and a Kinslayer. Uh, and this is where I feel like Magor, you know, already known he's a bad guy, but this is where things get really, really bad. Um, so he has three wives, Ceres, Alice, and Tiana. He visited one of them each night just to, like, increase his chances of having an heir, which was kind of his main goal uh, as a king. Um, Alice became pregnant, and three months later, she gave birth to a monstrosity with that was eyeless and twisted. Uh, he was convinced it was not his, and he killed everybody who was involved in the birth except for Alice's sisters, and Tiana actually convinced Magor that Alice had had secret affairs with 20 different men, uh, just trying to give him an heir. Uh, under torture, 18 of the 20 accused um, admitted to the affair, because, you know, they definitely totally did it, even though they were being tortured, you know, it's, they definitely did it for sure. hundred percent, no doubt. Um, so after these, all of these men were tortured, um, all the Haraways in King's Landing were killed, including Magor's hand at the time, Lucas Haraway, and Alice was personally given to Tiana for torture. And it was said that she had the worst death out of any Haraway at this time. Uh, but Magor didn't stop there. He was like, he went all the way to the Lord Haraway's hometown. Uh, he killed anybody with any drop of blood that was Haraway. And then he went to Harrenhal, of all places, and burned that place all again, again, killing anyone with Haraway blood. And then to just really rub it in, he held a melee at Lord Haraway's, well, now former town. And the winner of the melee would get the ownership of Harrenhal. Um, and if you're wondering, Walton Towers was the victor. Uh, what do you all think of uh, Megara's reaction to his first uh, uh, child, if you can say that? I would say measured and, um, you know, measured and balanced. <laughs> you know, he definitely measured with, I don't like what I have. And he was going for a zero sum. You know, so it's like, hey, Haraway, zero. <laughs> Land, zero. Rumors, zero. <laughs> 
So um, it was rather Machiavellian, I, I got to say. It's just, yeah, yeah, it was, you know, I'm kind of seeing if this part was actually put on um, on screen, this would very much be a Robert De Niro type move. You know what I mean? Like, I can totally see him <laughs> going, what? What? She had 20 affairs? I want her dead. I want her friends dead. I want her pets dead. <laughs> you know, anybody that owes her money dead. Anybody that she knows other than me dead, you know? So, yeah, and torture to find out information is always, always useful because you always get what you're looking for. Seriously, unless you're looking for the truth. But you always get what you, you yeah. Yeah, 70% of the time it works all the time. I, I just like the fact that he, he turned over wife number, which was this? Was this his first or second wife? Uh, Sarah's was the, was the first wife that he turned away. Was his yeah. first wife? He turned, he turned his first wife over to his third wife. Yeah. And or sorry, no, the second like, wife to his third wife. wife yeah. Second wife. Yeah, the first wife was barren, yes. which is why he picked up a second wife in the first yep. place. And then he turns her over to his third wife. And that's just like a high level of petty. Oh, yeah. Right. That's just so petty. It's <laughs> like, she did me dirty. So you get to have fun with her. It's like, I don't know if he was trying to wash his hands of it or if he was trying to make his third wife happy seeing as she was at least it wasn't what she had to do to qualify to marry him in the first place you know yeah yeah <laughs> i mean we're not talking henry tudor you know no it sounds like theirs was actually kind of like a match made in, in the seven hells maybe heaven? <laughs> yeah. because they were both in order <laughs> yeah match made in the seven hells well from there uh things start not going well for uh magor um his mother visenya dies um Alyssa, Valerion, and Jaehaerys, and Alysanne, who at the time were wards of Visenya, um, they escaped Dragonstone, and they took Dark Sister with them. Um, in response to this, Tiana torches Viserys, who is Alyssa's oldest son. Um, Tiana just seems to really be into the torture, apparently, and Magor seems very happy to oblige. Uh, at this time, the Red Keep uh, finishes construction, um, he holds a massive, like, three-day feast for all the builders or whoever was part of the, the, the construction. And then on the fourth day, just wipes them all out because he just wants to keep the secrets of the castle a secret. So in true Magor fashion, just kills them all. Uh, and then at this point, he wants to really build the, um, the dragon pit. But unfortunately, he can't find any builders for some reason. So he turns to the prisoners of King's Landing to build the dragon pit instead. Uh, and then Sarah's Hightower, his first wife, shortly dies after the construction of the Red Keep. While this is all happening, Megor is still fighting the Faith. Um, you know, that's his number one rival. They're going at it all the time. It's like boss battle all the time, kind of. Um, but it's extremely expensive and he's raising taxes on like all of the land and he's demanding like gold tributes from the high lord. So people are really getting shitty with Magor at this point. So he's had a couple wives die. He's got Tiana, the tower who he's not sleeping with anymore. And so he turns to wanting to get an heir again. So decides to marry three wives to increase his chances of having a child. The first one is Eleanor Costain, Jane, we and the second one is Jane Westerling, and the third is his niece, Raina Targaryen. Uh, that they, I don't want to say mended bridges, I don't think that that would be appropriate here, but they decided to, I guess, have a, 
I don't know, an agreement. Um, but these brides were all known as the Black Brides. Um, all three were widowed because of Magor. Uh, Theo Bowling was Eleanor's um, husband, and they were accused of conspiring with Alyssa Valerion. Alan Tarbeck supported Aegon II during his rebellion, and Aegon, um, Aegon Targaryen was killed by Magor during his uprising. So all of these women were widowed by Magor, pretty, pretty much. Uh, Lady Jane becomes pregnant and she has a stillborn child and she also dies during birth. And this is when it comes out that Tiana, who loves the torture, confesses to poisoning Alice's and Jean's children before they are born. Uh, she said that Eleanor's child would also be the same and Magor personally executed uh, Tiana due to this. But she was right. Eleanor also birthed an eyeless child with wings. So at this point, uh, Magor's got no more wives left. The country hates him, and Jaehaerys has come forth to claim the throne. He's got his dragon, Vermithor. Uh, he's got his sister, Alysanne's dragon, Silverwing. Um, Queen Reyna fle uh, fled King's Landing. She brings with her her dragon, Dreamfire, as well as um, the sword, Blackfire. Lords um, and even King's Guard begin dropping Magor for Jaehaerys. Uh, uh, Magor calls his banners and basically no one shows up. It's crickets. Um, and then one day after a war council, Magor stays behind on the throne. And the next day he's found with his wrist slashed and a spike through his throat. Um, it's not confirmed how he died. Some think it was Eleanor, his last wife. Some people think it might've been a Kingsguard who stuck around. Some think it was a builder who escaped the carnage after the construction of Red Keep, which that's my favorite theory. And then some think that it was himself, which I mean, I'm, any of these are on the table, but my personal favorite is the builder. Um, how do you all think that Magor died? It was definitely not a suicide. I don't think he would, uh, uh, he will if he wanted to kill himself he would have just slit his uh, veins uh, he will he won't have uh, just uh, stabbed himself himself in the throat yeah i'd have to agree with Uzma. the the stabbing through the throat is not a way you kill yourself it's a little aggressive <laughs> sure i would love it if it was one of his surviving wives i i would be happiest <laughs> if if you know she finally got her revenge for everything he put her through by taking him out one like of that. the black brides one of the black brides yeah freaking his surviving wife is his niece who was supposed to be queen with her husband Aegon her brother husband she lost everything and then she was married to him and watched as, and knew what he did to his other wives how could she not be the one who killed him see i, I like the idea of a group <laughs> effort like you know, he probably like <laughs> slit his own wrists and then like a builder God. came in and was like, no, 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 a cross for attention, up for results. And then, and, and then like, you know, one of his ex or one of his wives comes in and goes, no, 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 he's still breathing. Hang on. Impale him on that. And another one comes in and kind of grinds him because it's not like these people didn't have motive. <laughs> you know, it, it, it could have been a, a regicide party because, you know, he, he lived, mm -hmm. he is one of the, he is one of the many kings in Targaryen history that lived yeah. up to that. It's moniker, like that. Uh, it's know? like the team getting together and they're like, "Hey, I you want to kill Magor?" It's like, "You son of a bitch!" In <laughs> and then they show up and start doing their thing. 
you son of a bitch, I'm in. I'm retired. We're gonna kill the king. He's the second worst Targaryen king in history. Yeah. I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that is Magor the Cruel. Um and now finally Solar will be talking about Jaharis the Conciliator. Yeah, and before I start this segment, I want people to get a little comfortable for a little fireside chat. And I'd really like Morgan in on this one, because Morgan ah. has much more of a real-world historical background than I do. But I'm calling this a fireside chat, because we're talking about Jaharis the Conciliator, who was very much the FDR of, um, of the Seven Kingdoms. You know, now... It's in, it's very interesting because as we just learned in the final segment, Megor the Cruel was not really good at pumping out boys for secession. So we just had to stop that direct bloodline and jump over to the nieces and nephews. And that's where we get Jaharis, the Great Conciliator. Now, this guy, he and of himself, nephew to the cruelest king where everyone was like, man, if you didn't have dragons, I wouldn't be working for him, man. And they're like, hey, wait. His nephew's got dragons. I'll, I'll work for this guy. And sure enough, Rogar in the year 48 AC was like, this is your king right here. This, this is the guy. And he's like, oh, man, am I going? Why do the Baratheons keep doing this? Because ours is the fury. That's why. Yeah, but yours is the fury. I'm firing. But fine, fine, fine. I'll just I'll be the, I'll take the job until somebody else comes along. And he calls up the banners and he shows up on Quicksilver or on um. On Varaxes, I think it was. Um, wait, let me check my notes. Because <laughs> I took notes this time. Um, let's see. Well, he shows up on his dragon. And he gets to um, King's Landing. And he is ready for war. And he shows up. And the <laughs> king is dead on the chair. And it was like, oh, well, less work. Okay. <laughs> uh, I guess I didn't have to do much to take the kingdom. Um, but now, what do I do with it? And this guy. This guy. The very first thing he had to do was figure out what to do with the supporters of Magor the Cruel and the people that raised the banners against him on his way to King's Landing. Now, he had his hand, the good old Baratheon, saying, there should be a trial and we'll, we'll do this. And of course, the other family member is going, burn them all, burn them all, which really should be the Targaryen's house words. You know, kind of like uh, the Lannisters' house words are actually hear me roar, but everyone says they always pay their debts. Um, and he did something almost unprecedented in the history of the Targaryen dynasty, which was he made the decision himself. <laughs> he, he stopped and said, OK, I will take your I will take your suggestions under advisement. And he then decided to dispense personal adjudication of justice. Um, when there were turncoats to make war's army and said, we want to work for you. He's like, um, you just betrayed the king that you swore sovereignty to, to come work for me. I don't know if I can trust you. So I'm not going to say you can work for me, but since I won, um, execution or the wall, it, it's your call. Cause I don't trust you being around cause your, your loyalty ain't all that great. And, um, and he had decided to visit the nobles personally and talk to them and come up with different solutions to their gripes, their reason for rebellions and hand out the punishments according to the crime. Um, and this was only 
in his first couple of years as king, almost equivalent to the first hundred days in office, like this dude, right? Um, but later on, he took up his uncle's beef with the church and decided to write the doctrine of exceptionalism and said, okay, look, here's the thing. My uncle came in and said, we do stuff our way, religious freedom, our ways of life. And if you don't like it, we're going to burn you to the ground. I'm writing a law that says we can marry our family members, but just us. We're not trying to change the faith of everybody. Y'all have your ways, but let us have our ways. And um, the high septon didn't take well to that. So political intrigue and a replacement of the job later. Who knew? The next guy came in and said, you know what? The doctrine of the exceptional, that that's perfectly fine. And that ended up lasting until Baylor the Blessed, which was a story in and of itself. Um, and then he got to work with our serious serious New Deal and infrastructure plan. In the course of his reign, instead of going to war, he pushed diplomacy. Then he decided infrastructure. He started construction on the King's Road to link the seven kingdoms together, um, poured resources into infrastructure, um, refurbishing the Gold Road and the Rose Road and all the roads that led through the seven kingdoms and put King's Guard and City Guard and police or City Guard, uh, essentially a police force on the King's Road so that people can travel freely throughout the seven kingdoms without absolute certainty that they would be accosted by bandits on their way to wherever they were going. And then, <laughs> and then he took a look at the city structures of the free cities of Lees and Bravos and even Old Town and said, okay, I'm making a major road into the big city and we're going to make this city big. And he poured infrastructure into the different districts of King's Landing itself so that we have the artificers, um, you know, the, the steel road and, and the, I mentioned the gold road and the section of artificers, um, kind of seeing that where there is work, people will come. And he was the first king to say, okay, if people are going to come here, we have to make sure they can make a living. And that living will make King's Landing a city that rivals Old Town. Um, there is speculation that states he put the energy into Old Town because to, or into King's Landing because to take over Old Town would be, would take too much time and too much energy over the course of his reigns to change the hearts and minds of the people that live there. So he made his own city with blackjack and hookers. I would say forget the blackjack, but, um, that, 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 that itself was there. Um... And sure enough, um, now we move into the tragedy of his reign. As Megor the Cruel was not able to name an heir because he didn't have any boys out there that he trusted or was able to have a wife that could give birth to a boy. Ah, oh, Jaehaerys, the great conciliator, named a lot of heirs. This dude was like, this person will take my place, and this person will take my place, and this, and, and you get Dragonstone, and you get Dragonstone. Unfortunately, um, the most solidified of his heirs was um, Balin the Brave, 
um, crown prince of Dragonstones. Unfortunately, Jaehaerys the Great Conciliator had the longest and most prosperous reign throughout the Seven Kingdoms for a very long time. And when I say the longest, I don't mean in the sense of king is a job for life, but not for long. Um, I mean, he was there for, God, 51 years, and he outlived all of his heirs. <laughs> um, the people that he named to succeed him literally died of old age before he did. So Dragonstone was nice. It was cold. They wouldn't be getting the pointy chair themselves. Um, and finally came the one historic event that most of us have been talking about in this podcast since its inception being what we see in the show. The Great Council of 101, where the noble lords decide to get together and name an heir to the Iron Throne um, upon the last days of Jaehaerys I. But that's a story for another time. Now, I, I want to ask Morgan specifically, with his um, with Jaehaerys's work on infrastructure politics do you like i see the similarities between the new deal and um the infrastructure work that he put in um and with the work that he did would that be i guess you could say the success of his reign do you think he had the support of the nobles due to the works on his own primarily or due to the fact that he just wasn't Magor. <laughs> Again, you have the more historical mind than I do, so. So I, I, do, I do think it's very similar to the New Deal. Uh, he, he made work so that the workers would have things to do, but he put the workers to work, making life better for everybody else, which is basically the, the concept of the New Deal. Um, and I do believe that the people were not, they were tired of warfare, but they were not bowing to him just because he wasn't Magor, right? Like, if he came in and they're like, oh god, not another evil Targaryen, damn it. They would have they done something, but he, he wasn't like that. So, we were talking about how Aeneas was a conciliator, but he was a conciliator for everyone. He didn't find the middle ground. He just gave anybody what they wanted. With uh, Jaehaerys, Jaehaerys knew how to set boundaries. Again, I'm going to bring in my, my therapy into this. Jaehaerys... <laughs> good point. Very, very good point. <laughs> Jaehaerys knew how to set boundaries. He's like, yes, I will give you what is reasonable to give you, and I will give you no more. And you will either accept it or we're going to have a problem. Like, Jaehaerys was never the kind of person who was like, I'm going to kill everybody. But he was always kind of like, you know, if I have to kill you, I will. I will kill you. I don't want to kill you. I will kill you, though. Don't yeah, make it, me kill you. Yeah, it's very much the once where it's gotten out that the conciliator's gone soft, people begin to disobey you when it's nothing but work, work, work all the time. So since right. I'm suffering from polio, please don't make me stand up from this chair. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to make the kingdom good. <laughs> right. So um, there, there are many uh, monarchs uh, that 
really focused internally and created these golden ages. Um, and infrastructure has always been a hallmark of those situations. Um, if you look even at the Starks, right, they always reference Bran the Builder, right? Because he was a builder. Building stuff is important. That's what real legacy is. Conquering people doesn't matter if you don't have the land or if you don't have the buildings to show for it. You don't have the infrastructure, the new material. Uh, the people don't... Re I can't remember the line from the, from the ad, but uh, what was it? Blood... People don't remember blood, they remember names, right? People remember what you make more than what you destroy. He was a maker. It's like most people know Baylor because of the great set, right? I mean, most people mm -hmm. couldn't tell you anything about Baylor's reign other than he was religious and he built a really big church. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. that's it's kind of the same thing. It's like it, you, you leave a legacy behind you of, of what's tangible. And in this case, he left a very tangible legacy in the form of all the infrastructure and the roads being huge. I mean, travel is prosperity. If you can't travel safely, you can't get goods from one point to another. You can't get foodstuffs from one point to another. Your kingdom's going to collapse. So he was very yeah. wise in doing so to, to ensure the legacy of the Targaryen dynasty by making sure the kingdom was stable. Right. And... Uh... Solar, you were talking about how he was trying to find the right heir and he was constantly naming new heirs and they kept dying on him because he lived too damn long because people let him. <laughs> Nobody's, nobody murdered him. That's a good point, actually. <laughs> he was almost elected for a fifth term and he's like, no, I'm tired. <laughs> right. You know. People just let him sit there like... <laughs> Stuff happened to the two kings before him. Just saying. Aegon's kids <laughs> did not last. But but everyone's like, oh, yeah, he's got the long reign. It's like, dude, nobody murdered him. In fact, there weren't even any rebellions under his reign, which is very odd. Um, I'm interested to see what Uzma has to say about this. Yeah, he was uh, definitely a good king. And he, like Morgan said, he knew how to balance uh, between giving people what they want and uh, stopping them. Like uh, in Magor's case, we saw people knew there were, uh, sorry, Anis's case, we saw that they, uh, there would be no consequences for their actions. They knew they could get away with rebellion. And they just did that. But with Jairus, even though he was a good person, a good king, he, they knew if they went, uh, they stepped out of line, they would be punished for that. So he maintained a perfect, perfect balance between uh, rewarding people for uh, how they were, uh, if they were within the line and followed the laws and punishing them if they crossed a line. And uh, like everyone said earlier, uh, he built uh, the travel be uh, between uh, the kingdoms. He connected the, make it, making it easier for people to travel. The, he made people's lives easier. So he was definitely loved by everyone. So there, uh, people, there weren't any resentment towards it. So uh, that's why there were uh, no many, not many, not any rebellion at all. <laughs> Yeah. Now, for the listeners out there, the major reason that we're really focusing on the infrastructure and the impact of that is really in real life history. 
the ability to take goods and services between people are really what determines what can make a great empire. Um, in human history, of course, we're talking outside of the books, the one of the three things that the largest and most longstanding empires in the West were known for um, were specifically the roads. And I'm speaking of the Romans. If you make it easy to get from one place to another, <laughs> um, then everything opens up more. The easier the travel, the easier expansion excuse me, um, expansion of commerce, expansion of population, and expansion of um, innovation, um, both industrial, educational, and cultural can happen. All of this based on not having to run through a forest and get eaten by wolves after dark. And King Jaehaerys, the great conciliator, while building the roads, um, was in and of himself, an interesting, interesting politician in the sense that he ruled the country even more so than his hand did. He was very much a listener and decider with the overall thing behind him saying, I'm making the country better for everyone. And if we got a problem, I still got dragons. So, you know, I, I would... Um, it kind of reminds me, and yes, I equate a lot of things to crime, but very much reminds me of the beginning of Pablo Escobar when he would ask um, uh, Plata Pluma, um, which is you can have the lead of my bullets or the gold of my payoff. Which would you prefer? <laughs> and um, most of the lords were like, well, he is doing stuff and my peasants are fat and happy, so I guess we won't rebel. But you watch yourself, buddy. <laughs> and sure enough, he watched himself until he died, finally, in 101 AC, which, um, if you're familiar with the history of Ice and Fire at all, living until you're 50 is, is a Herculean feat worthy of legend. And this guy reigned for 60 years, <laughs> you know, so he was a, he was the ripe old age of, um, help me out here. Wasn't he like, um... 96 or something when he died. I mean, he, he was pretty old. So, so yeah. And Sam, you've been kind of quiet on this one. <laughs> no, I'm just taking it all in. Jaharis is, you know, like he was probably the best guy, you know, like I feel like when they talk about Kings, I feel like Aegon gets brought up a lot. Jaharis doesn't get nearly enough credit like the other Kings do, you know? And I mean, and you bring up how long he lasted and like, not only was like, were people not trying to kill him? I feel like he also was, not doing stupid shit, you know? Like, I feel like a lot of kings <laughs> and a lot of, like, knights and stuff are always doing stupid stuff and dying early, and Jaehaerys yeah. was like, I'm going to avoid all that and just, you know, work on my roads, so. Which is, you yeah, know. He, he def yeah, he definitely had a job to do, and he's like, power, power, no, 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 I have a job. My job is to expand the kingdom and make sure that the people are yeah. good. So I'm going to do that. He was one of the few people who died of old age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Mr. Evan. <laughs> so a, a few things. One thing I just want to add into the whole roads discussion. Yes, the roads built commerce. They built civilization. They expanded so many things, made people able to raise families and develop. But they also made it possible for him to march his armies faster. He could bring his armies right to your doorstep. And everybody knew that he that his armies could move at the same very rate true. that their carts for trade <laughs> could move. So which one was going to get true. there first? 
And I'm glad that you brought that up, Morgan, because um, one part that I left out of my little tale was part of his reign was to constantly visit the vassals. <laughs> he paid, he did a king's procession throughout those roads practically yearly. So it was almost like a yearly thing of up, oh, the king's coming to visit. So he wasn't an absentee landlord. Okay. Um, kind of like Aegon the Conqueror. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Um, although I would argue that one of the differences between the two was Aegon did the visits to the Seven Kingdoms primarily as a show of force. Like the, hey, uh, by the way, I can still get here. Boop, boop. <laughs> um, Jaehaerys himself did that because he wanted um, he wanted to make sure that the people and the lords knew that he was there and knew that he was involved. So it was almost like um, he came through, didn't exactly have town halls, but it was very known throughout his reign that um, the liege lords weren't independent sovereign states. You know, it's very much, yeah, we answer to the king and he'll be here in five months. So, you know, he, he's, um, what, uh, what, what's it? Um, the managers come in quick, look busy, you know, and he very much had a time to lean, time to clean um, <laughs> type of kingdom when it came to the noble lords. And the country prospered from it. So, you know, but that would be it. Yeah. I have to say. The 15-year-old me is, is snickering oh, wow. because he died at the ripe old age of 69, dudes. Nice. <laughs> nice. I would ask, speaking of lords, I would like to add in uh, that he had guts. He abolished the lord, uh, law of uh, first night, which uh, a lot of lords didn't like this decision. They hated it, but they still followed um, the law. Uh, he... Like there, if it was Anis, he probably would have been afraid of taking this decision because it would have made the lords unhappy. But he did it. Yeah. And uh, he also uh, established the widow's law, which uh, also gave uh, make the life easier for the women and the common people of the yeah. kingdom. So I I wanted to add in and and that that's exactly on the point i was about to add in so earlier sam was saying how jaharis wasn't going around doing stupid shit all the time like some of his predecessors but the thing is he was doing some of the exact same things some of his predecessors and successors yes. he was doing some of the exact same things <laughs> like uh arranging uh marriage within the family and what have you but he went around it he went about it with intelligence and strategy and he actually paved the way for all these things these are the same things that if Aenys had done them and Aenys did some of it Aenys didn't end well right so like I'm just saying he may he may have been doing the exact same stupid shit but he prepped and he strategized and he made the stupid shit work so that he could at least enjoy his stupid shit he was smart about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Yeah, we're pretty much saying the same thing. You know, it's not, not yeah, no don't stupid be stupid shit. about yeah, the yeah. shit you pull. Yeah. So in closing <laughs> Yeah. So in closing, one of the reasons that I think um we're leaving him for last in this in our historical lesson specifically 
um, because chronologically he is the king that he is the most immediate king that predates the show. Um, however, his list of accomplishments is worth an entire mm-hmm. episode on its own. I mean, the dude was putting in work. He was like James Brown, just the hardest working king in history. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, but in all honesty, <clears throat> I think, um, Historically speaking, if you look at his accomplishments pound for pound, the Seven Kingdoms would have crumbled, or should I say the Targaryen dynasty would have crumbled far sooner, if not for the works of Jaehaerys. Um, Especially given the tomfoolery that Maegor had um, pulled with the Faith Militant and the small folks. (laughs) You know. Um, But yeah, so... You know, take some notes and um, look into that stuff too, you guys, so that we're ready for the show. And with that, I'm going to say back to you, um, Sam. Thank you, Solar. Uh, and now Morgan has some questions for us regarding our kids. Yes, I have questions. All right. So uh, my first question is, we know from the promo pictures that uh, King Jaehaerys, who we were just talking about, uh, will appear at least once because we see a picture of him. So we know he's going to appear. Uh, do we think that we'll see much more of him or any images uh, beyond just artwork, actual appearances of any other kings? Let's start with you, Sam. Ooh, um, I kind of feel like since since we're getting kind of, you know, we know that we're going to be starting with the council and like, I, I feel like, I feel like it might be kind of like a one-off-ish kind of thing. I feel like it might be like a, you know, we'll probably get, I feel like it'll be like a flashback, like halfway in the episode, we've seen like things kind of getting set up and then we'll get the like, you know, the great Jaharis, like kind of like bestowing some wisdom on like probably like all of his children or, or just Viserys or like whoever else. So I feel like it's going to be like kind of a one-off situation where like, where like then it leads into the episode where like whatever he has whatever wisdom has been bestowed like is something that comes up in the episode. Uh, Solar, what do you think? Um, <clears throat> if we see Jaehaerys in the show, it will be for no more than five minutes. Period. Um, we do know that we're going to see the Council of One Hundred One, and historically speaking, if they stick to the source materials, he wasn't there. <laughs> He was at home, sick, sleeping. So he was already there at King's Landing, and the Great Council took place at Harrenhal. Um, So if we do see him, speaking from a filmmaker's point of view, it would be the cut to um, King Jaehaerys at King's Landing during, before, or after. Not all three. And then... um, Specifically because the narrative of the show will primarily cover the reign of King Viserys and what comes after. So we might get a couple of shots of old King Viserys sitting in a bed in Dragonstone. And, and that's about it. But um, that that's about all I can see. Unless these writers do something beyond the kin of my capability of writing. So, I don't know. Um... Constance, what do you think? Well, we know that uh, Alicent Hightower is a key player in the story to come. We know she's in all the trailers. She's in all the promos. She's one of the major factors. And her the start of her political career, so to speak, was when her father 
made her Jaharis's nursemaid. Uh, that's a high position of honor. It's a position of trust. And it was the her, that's where she got started. So I think we're going to see her with him uh, as a very young girl, maybe even younger than we've seen her in the series, uh, doing, learning how to be political at, at an early age. Or her father is forcing her to be political at an early age. So I think we'll see a little more of him than just the old king at, you know, sitting on a throne. I think we'll actually get a little bit of that because it helps develop her character. So that's that's why I think we'll see a little more of him than just, you know, the one promo shot we saw of him sitting on the throne with the royals arrayed around him. So, uh, Uzma, what's what's your thoughts on all this? What do you think we'll see? I agree with you. Based on the uh, promo pictures, we know Jairus uh, will attend the uh, Great Council at Heron Hall. And based on the uh, a few shots we have seen in the New Rain trailer, we see uh, him attending a feast uh, and he is bald and wrinkly and very old which he doesn't look like that in the uh, heron hall picture promo picture so i think uh, i agree that we will get to see more of him uh, when he is sick we'll probably get to see allison taking care of him uh, that will be in the first episode and i think in the second episode we'll get to see his dead body at least uh, in the funeral we discussed earlier uh, that Vegar burning the uh, funeral pyre. So he will technically be there, but uh, it will be only his dead body. <laughs> so maybe one, I don't know if, whether to count it as one episode or two. <laughs> wow, that took a dark turn. <laughs> we'll see him, but just his corpse. You know? I mean, that happened a lot in Game of Thrones, just saying. That that is so fair. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if the actor gets credit for the episode, it's got to count, right? Yeah, they get paid. Yeah, yeah. Screen time is screen time, man. Actually, in the new rain trailer, it was uh, the body was covered with a cloth. Oh, uh, so <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so, in in my, in my opinion, I, I so I don't know what they're gonna do. I just know what I would do as a writer, right? So if I if I were writing this. I would have some early flashes of him early on as references to give some background to the characters that are important. And then I'd have scenes far later on where we'd see things with Alicent, right? Trying to get to know why she is the way she is. I wouldn't put that up front. I wouldn't explain that right off the bat. I would just play that in later when we get into an episode where we're diving deeper into Alicent as a person. Because, of course, at some point, they're going to have to dive deep into why she does what she does, what her real motivations are. And I will be fascinated when that happens, because I'm all about character. Uh, but I don't I don't think... Yeah, I do think Uzma's right, that we're going to see different time periods of Jaharis in different scenes for completely different reasons. Um, and I think the, the, the image of him s surrounded by royals is more about Viserys. Uh, and I think the image of him old is more about uh, Alicent. And I think we're going to see completely different scenes. And I, I expect there to be longer scenes when we get into Alicent's story than Viserys's. Uh, so I'll move on to my next question. Uh I am curious to see if any of you will have differing opinions on this one because uh, everybody seemed to have a pretty similar opinion at the end of our last segment. But which king was most successful? Let's start with Uzma. 
I think all of our answers <laughs> will be the same. King Jairus, raise your hand. <laughs> Who agrees with me? <laughs> yeah. King Jairus definitely. He he brought peace and he his reign was long and peaceful. Like we have already discussed all of these points before. So definitely King Jairus. <laughs> Even uh, uh, King Viserys was able to. Uh, do good in the beginning he was uh, his pe- reign was peaceful because of jaehaerys he was riding the momentum of jaehaerys's reign <laughs> what do you think uh, sam yeah i mean we got to say jaehaerys right i mean you know it's he's got he's got the long <laughs> list of things that he's done it's like kind of hard to argue with that we could say aegon just because he kind of got the ball rolling but like you know as we've mentioned he's made his mistakes we can absolutely say it's definitely not Aenys, and we can absolutely say it's definitely not Magor for <laughs> obvious <not>? reasons. Uh, <laughs> they were both I so successful, like, you know. Really? <laughs> I guess you could you, you could maybe make arguments. You know, Magor probably had the highest kill count. Um, you know, Aenys probably had most decisions not made. Uh, so, like, you could you know you could make some arguments. I think Aegon beats Magor on kill that's, count, just saying. That's fair. Maybe like maybe like highest yeah. kill count of like religious members killed. I don't know, one of those. And family um, members. Or like yeah. I don't know <laughs> and family members, yeah. Or like, you know, what or most people tortured by my third wife. I don't know, something like that. But uh yeah, I think Jaharis would go for it. Uh Constance, what about you? Yeah, it's hard to argue. I mean, uh, the only thing the only legitimate argument you could say is that Magor united the kingdoms in hatred of him. Uh, that's something that no one else was able to do. Is he, he unified the, the seven kingdoms in their in their shared hatred of that guy. Because uh, fuck that guy in particular. But uh, Jaehaerys definitely was the most successful king, both in terms of building a legacy and establishing a peaceful reign during his own lifetime. So, yeah. Uh, Really can't argue with that. Uh, Solar, you got anything? Well, you know, I can't really answer the question of most successful because that asks the, that begs the question, um, what were the goals of these kings? I mean, Aegon was absolutely successful. He came in and he jacked an entire country of its stuff. And really, other than infrastructure, the roads, the water, education, public order, and peace, what did Jaharis ever do for us? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so um, it, it is, I mean, you bring up a really good point. If Magor's plan was to pull a first sovereign emperor of China and unite the world against him, um, I, I would say he did a really good job with that. So... I would definitely say if you're measuring success by way of longevity to dynasty, then it's inarguable that Jaehaerys is the most successful king. But is the success of Jaehaerys possible without the success of Aegon's conquest? Uh, it's, it's, a hard, it's a really hard question to ask the more that you dig into it. But again, you know. Um, I mean, yes. Yeah, so other than all of those things, like what did Jaharis do? Brought peace? Shut up. You know, I mean, I mean, really. Um, but I will say he's got the longest laundry list of accomplishments for the realm in general. He did very much live up to what various the spider kept touting. So, yeah. So my vote is is definitely Jaharis, but it's I, I can't say that it's as obvious as it seems. Yeah. Uh, I would say, yeah, it 
of each of the kings, what their goals were is kind of my focus as well. Um, Aegon was 100% successful on Conquest, uh, except for Dorne. So that's kind of where I kind of limit Aegon. He didn't get Dorne. I'm sorry. His goal was yeah. Dorne. Well, he I... didn't get it. He's not as successful. I would definitely say around 66% since he kind of lost a third of his forces. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, he he did not make the eight. Yeah, he did not <laughs> make the, the eight. Goes. Um, I mean, even Jamie Lannister beats him there. <laughs> hashtag did not make the eight. Yes. Wow. That is a good hashtag. <laughs> um... <laughs> And yeah, and Jaharis didn't do everything he set out to do, but he was so ambitious and so capable that when you shoot for the stars and you hit the moon, fuck, you still hit the fucking moon. Just saying. Uh, yeah, so yeah, we all have the same answer. Speaking of goals, George R. R. Martin uh, said in an interview that uh, there were rumors about Aegon uh, wanting to unite the Seven Kingdom because he knew about the prophecy of, like, uh, he knew about the upcoming threat of the Long Night. What do you guys think about it? Did he know or not? Because uh, George R. R. Martin mentioned it in, during the promo videos uh, of uh, Fire and Blood. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, considering that the Targaryens up to that point had been talking about dreams and things that had brought them uh, in into Westerosi territory in the first place. But also, honestly, Aegon's ambition was huge. Like all of his uh, his father, grandfather, what have you, they all had dragons. None of them tried to conquer anything. They all just chillaxed. Maybe new information was enough to make him take that step forward. And his focus all along was unity. He wanted to conquer, and then he wanted to maintain unity. He placated because he needed to maintain unity. He could have destroyed the church, but he never would have ruled the people that had followed the church. Right? He couldn't destroy everybody. He did try to pursue yeah, peace. As soon as he had his yeah. hold, he pursued peace. And I think that was really his goal was unity under him. And that's why he tried for Dorne and failed. Um, honestly, I never actually thought about that. It's I don't think very much about the long night and the prince that was promised. Because as I've said in many, many episodes, prophecy in this world is always wrong. Unless your name is Danny's the Dreamer. That's it. So... But I would like to argue with it uh, that a prophecy is never wrong. Its interpretation is the prophecy always comes true. Oh, OK. I, I think we're splitting hairs on the definition of prophecy on that because <laughs> um, the future is always up there. But the prophecy I've always interpreted as the prophecy is the language of who is talking about the future. And. You know, so those people, always wrong, always wrong. So the long night's coming, uh, maybe. I mean, it would make absolute sense, like Morgan is saying, to combine the seven kingdoms with peace, 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 peace. We got a bigger threat. Peace, peace, peace. Um, but honestly, I don't know. I really don't know. And none of the information before that interview even hints 
to the idea that um, that he was looking to unite the seven kingdoms for a greater purpose. It was more like, uh, I don't know how to do my job. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. I don't remember exact details, but I remember doing research into that exact subject while I was reading the books. And there were other people talking mm. about it back then. The, the idea okay. that Aegon had, had done what he did for a purpose and particularly for that purpose. Okay. Oh, my face is red. I stand corrected. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what do you think, Constance? Oh, well, um, I, I have not... I, I'm with Solar. I haven't seen anything to point towards that. But if you and Morgan say there is, I'm not going to doubt your knowledge because it's encyclopedic. <laughs> you know far more than I do. Uh, it would be an interesting point if that was why Aegon started the conquest, not simply because he wanted to rule, but because he saw something bad that was going to happen that would require all seven kingdoms together, eight, eight kingdoms, in order to actually succeed and fight back against it. Uh, but that actually, you know, it didn't, the kingdoms were all shattered and fragmented by the time that the Long Night came and they fought in the, in Game of Thrones and during, during that whole series, during the Baratheon dynasty. So I don't know if that's the point that Aegon was trying to make or not, because it didn't work. But that's what Melisandre told Stannis, mm -hmm. that uh, the kingdoms you needed to be united if they wanted to survive uh, against the White Walkers. Yeah, but they weren't. Well, according to the show, all they really needed was a Stark girl. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, I still don't believe that the, the way the Long Night situation played out in the show is like how it was leading to in the books. Yeah. But I don't yeah. know, and we won't know, unless the books do get written, which I'm still skeptical about. But George R. R. Martin has said that uh, the books will be very different from yeah, the yeah. show. My hot take what? is that the books have already been completed. Like, he's just sitting on the manuscript and just trolling all the fans. Uh, yeah, I wrote the next 13 <laughs> books, actually, including the sequels. Just, But the more you guys complain and light up my emails and do all these videos, the longer I'm just going to wait. <laughs> and I'm just saying I'm that kind of petty, so, you know. Yeah. All right, I'm going to move on to my next question. Uh, should Aegon have passed the throne to his son, or should he have passed it to his surviving wife, Visenya? I'm going to start with Constance. Well, I think that between Anis and Visenya, Visenya would have continued the rule in the same keeping as Aegon did. She was the warrior. She was very decisive. She knew what she was doing. She had the Targaryens' uh, aggressiveness, go-gettingness. I think she would have probably um, solidified the reign more than Aenys did. Because Aenys was just so wishy-washy and he couldn't make any decisions and he didn't get anything done other than rebellion. Now, no one's going to go rebel against Visenya. Nobody would have the guts to stand up to her and her dragon because she would use it. She would have no doubts about raining fire and blood down on somebody. So I think he should have passed it to her and we would have a very different story indeed. Um, Solar. I can't answer this question fairly. I really can't. Because, yeah, you, your point and you've illustrated 90% of my point right there. It's like, should he have given it to his undecided wishy-washy kid or to his kick-ass sister wife who was all about that life 
and in all honesty, um, yeah, I if I were in his position, okay, or if I was even one of the noble lords of Westeros at that time, I would have backed Visenya every day of the week and twice on Sundays. You know, oh um, I understand that whole succession thing, but she got the job done. You know, when it comes down to things like leadership positions and all that stuff, I get wanting to leave the throne to the next heir and blah, 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 and all that jazz. But Visenya had been doing the job for 10 years already. You know, she was one of the original conquerors. So she was already about that life. She had known the land. She knew the skies. She went to war and she was the she was the one that lived I mean, when you really think about it, um, Rhaenyra was killed in Dorne. Aegon um, died the way that he died, but she was the one that lived. So she was the most qualified for the job, as it were. So that that's why I would have left it to her, because she was about that life. Um, she still had the ways of old Valeria in her heart because of how she grew up. So, yeah, instead of leaving it to the kid, no, leave it to the kid's aunt because she's been doing it longer, you know. And matter of fact, um, I would I would have left it to Visenya with the request that Visenya teach my son how to do the job our way. You know, that that would have been the wisest thing for Aegon to do, in my opinion, because, yeah, she was all about that life. How about you, Sam? Uh, oh man, I, that's such a t tough question just because like, I guess I think about like what would then happen with the inheritance after like I'd imagine Visenya would probably have named Magor her heir so Magor would have automatically become king but at the same time would we have had the same like, you know, issues with the faith like would they have still been a, as prominent as they were? Um, cause I doubt Aenys would have like fought back at that. So maybe like there would have been a better relationship with the brothers who know Aenys might've even become like Magor's hand. He might've handled things a little bit better being a hand rather than a king. So like, I feel like in a lot of, in a lot of ways it makes a lot of sense, but again, it's pretty easy to say that in hindsight, seeing on how shitty things were when like everything went down. So I guess like I would think that Visenya probably would have been a better choice. But I'm sure, like, to keep... I, I feel like there's also, like, they probably were trying to keep tradition. They were, pro they were probably just trying to keep things, like, I don't know, somewhat uh, regular for, like, the start of their kingdom, I guess, to, like, make things go that, like, I feel like Aegon was always going to make Aenys, I guess, the next king. So, Uzma, what do you think? Definitely Visenya. She was basically the female version of Aegon. She grew up with Aegon. She even learned to fight with him she can uh, she even learned to use the swords uh, how to fight with her sword and everything she learned to use how to reign and she participated in the conquest she was uh, she wasn't just sitting by the sidelines she was an active participant in it she won many uh, she won the whale and everything so and definitely Visenya would have been a better choice and I agree with uh, Constance it would have been a very different story if they had gone with Visenya because uh, if Visenya had been chosen and she had ruled properly maybe uh, once Jaehaerys' son Aemon died maybe he would have gone with Queen Rhaenys Princess Rhaenys the queen who never was instead of cho choosing uh, Viserys 
Uh, I will say that I agree with all of you that Visenya would have been uh, a better choice. I'm not certain she would have been a good choice. Uh, I Yes, she is badass. However, she raised Magor. Just putting that out there. There's a reason Magor <laughs> is so fucked up. It was her and Aegon. <laughs> like, Aegon was the balance between her and Rhaenys, right? He was the much more balanced head. She was just gonna murder people. I'm just saying. At every point in the stories where they're like, someone was <laughs> like, let's do something conciliatory. She straight up said, no, kill them. Every single time, she just says, no, kill them. Don't talk but to them, kill them. Wrong? But was she incorrect in her assessment and counsel? <laughs> Probably, honestly, yes. Because if someone like <laughs> Jaharis was there, Jaharis would have been like, no, I'm not going to kill them, and we can probably make something work. But compared to Aenys and Magor, yeah. What about Aegon? Aegon? Like, would he have done the same things? No, as her? I don't think so. They were very, they were very similar, but he had the much more even head out of the two. Like he, he, he had the vision, and she had the violence, and I think like she was his strong right arm. Right, she was ready to brutally murder anybody for him, but he had a vision. He had a goal. She was never really about the goal. And because she wasn't about the goal, she wouldn't have necessarily been the right choice for him. You actually make a good point that reminds me of something from... I know. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Is there room for me on this podcast besides <laughs> your head? No. Uh, <laughs> now, um, it brings up a point that was brought out in the Game of Thrones books concerning the Baratheon brothers, where... Um, Vicenya mm -hmm. is very, you guys are, the way that you're talking about Vicenya, I'm seeing very much Stannis, where Rene, um, where yes. Rhaenys was like Renly, um, the soft metal, copper, the mm -hmm. soft metal that everyone loved and was very pretty, but wasn't strong enough for the job, where Vicenya would be like Stannis, who was iron, unbending, but easily broken. And Aegon being steel. Yes. Oh, my God. It's like poetry. It's like they rhyme. You know, curse you, Martin. Curse you. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that's perfect. I hadn't even thought about it in that way. But yes, it perfectly aligns. And that's exactly why I don't think Visenya would have actually been a good ruler. I don't. I do think that she would have survived better than Aenys. Uh, but she wouldn't have been a good ruler. And now I just keep thinking of King Ghidorah, right? If you've ever seen Godzilla movies, <laughs> the three-headed yeah. dragon, right? There's there's the, the 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 very angry head. You have the kind of the middle of the road head, and then you have the derpy head. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that kind of applies in this situation too, <laughs> with the three the three yes. Targaryens and then the three Ren the three Baratheons. Because <laughs> let's face it, Renly was obviously the derpy head. <laughs> yeah. But the cute derpy head. He was Emphasize cute. cute. It is cute. Yes. <laughs> wow. Just wow. I think Rhaenys is still accomplished more than Renly. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. Very true. Uh, but they both died pretty badly. Um, <laughs> so, number, number four, my fourth question. Uh, was the faith militant justified? I'm not saying were they right. 
were they justified in their rebellions? Let's start with Uzma. I would say yes and no. Uh, yes, because it was understandable because it was a foreign custom and it was hard for them to accept. But uh, the reason I'm saying no is because they didn't do it in during Aegon's reign. Uh, they Aegon still married his sisters, but they never uh, rebelled against him. They only did it when they thought they could get away with it because Aenys was weak. If Aenys, if it was Aegon instead of Aenys, if uh, if Aegon had married his son and daughter, I don't think they would have dared ag- rebel against him. That's why. <laughs> what do you think, Sam? Uh, I think they were kind of in the wrong. I think. Uh, I I think that like. I understand that they, you know, they had their customs already pretty much, like, out there. They had a certain religion already. But, like, they were not willing to meet halfway at all. Like, there was at no point where they were like, yeah, okay, this is fine. We'll let you do this. Which, like, the Targaryens have some weird ways of doing things already. But, like, and and that's understandable that they would be very hesitant with their faith. But, like, at some point, you got to meet halfway. You can't just be like, no, 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 no. So, like... Were they justified in a way, but I feel like at some point they probably could have met halfway and then there wouldn't have been nearly as much bloodshed and probably like a lot more people would be alive. So like, again, I understand that it's like, you know, it's a faith. So like they're they're really going with their faith, but like you gotta, you gotta, you can probably follow your faith by also maybe like hanging out with the crown a little bit, you know? So like justified somewhat but gotta meet halfway somewhere well, I think and gotta that make a deal you, I, I would agree I if it was if it was anyone uh, other Constance, than Anise, they wouldn't have dared because the other kings ruled with a much much more iron fist uh they saw the opportunity because he didn't have their culture he didn't have their their shared ways and they didn't like it and so they said okay well he's not going to do a damn thing if we get militant about this if we try to hold true to our faith and our heritage but it just struck me as they went too far were they justified maybe it was it's a it's a weird hill to die on but they died all the same uh so that's kind of how i saw it uh that they just they just picked something they didn't like because they saw the opportunity to 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 take that advantage uh solar your thoughts no and fuck them and this is why um no i don't think they were justified at all um you guys bring up a lot of points if it was really a sticking point why didn't they do that with Aegon or any king that came or any king that came before the indecisive but real talk i say that they're not justified for rebelling for one major question if they hadn't rebelled what did they stand to lose i mean this was really just about um the royal dynasty saying, I want to marry my cousin or my sister, or, you know, um, we can't keep it in our pants, so we keep it in the family. And the church and the faith militant going, no, you can't do that. That goes against our religion. And it's not like the Targaryens were going, I didn't say you have to marry your sister. I'm saying I have to marry mine, you know? So it very much brings me to modern politics in all honesty. No, they weren't justified in rebelling because they were rebelling against someone choosing what they do for themselves, not what was being forced on them, you know? I mean, when we bring up modern politics, 
pro-choice don't mean doesn't mean mandatory abortion you know the targaryens were essentially saying this is how we do things in our family and we're in charge but you can still do stuff your way and they're going no you got to do stuff our way and we're going to fight you to make that happen that is bullshit that is absolute bullshit the faith was not justified in sending the poor and the disillusioned to war to force their way of life upon the oppose upon the power uh, upon the power structure that wasn't forcing a different way of life on them you know so yeah no fuck those guys and fuck the faith militant they could all die in a fire oh <laughs> wait <laughs> yeah um that that's where i sit with that you know if they had had something to lose or if the targaryens were saying everybody's got to marry their siblings that would be justified that would be a justification of rebellion but they weren't trying to change the way of life they were just trying to live theirs so that's where i sit so so I agree with you, Solar, on principle. Uh, I, but I have to, I have to disagree in this setting. The reason being that the choice the Targaryens were making for themselves was to con continue inbreeding and putting the inbred progeny over and over and over again onto the throne as they inbred over and over and over again. And as, as we all know, that doesn't end well. Uh, there's a reason they call the tar uh, several of the Targaryens mad, right? And they think it's genetic. Because, um, yeah, when recessive genes meets recessive genes and there is no dominant gene to take over, the recessive stuff just keeps multiplying. Um... So, yes, I do think that they actually had something to lose. They had the lives of the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that. Um, only because these were the people in charge and because of primogeniture and the idea that their children will rule regardless. In any other circumstance, yes. Well, do you think that they had that kind of knowledge of genetics at that point in history? Because, I mean, when the Faith Militant went off, the Targaryens didn't have the reputation for being mad, did they? Not necessarily. However, the Targaryens were representative of a culture, right? Who says Old Valyria wasn't filled with mad people? I'm just saying people did not necessarily look to old Valyria and say, hey, there's a bunch of sane people riding giant dragons. Um, but, but look Fair at boy. real history, right? <laughs> there's a reason, there's a, there's a reason that uh, in many, many cultures, it was established very early on against incest. And this is not me passing a judgment on anyone, but they, they, they knew that when they saw the results of it, it wasn't very good. They may not have understood exactly how alleles work and how genetics worked exactly, but they, they saw the evidence and they knew it was a thing. And they built it into their religions. Yeah, the maesters were aware that if you do too much inbreeding, it caused some fucked up shit. So that they at least kind of understood that idea of husbandry, especially with animal husbandry. I don't know. I'm I'm still not a big fan of going to war on what might happen um, a generation, two, three from now. You know, always in motion is the future. No, I, <laughs> I agree. I agree. It was 
It was overall flimsy. However, I can see why they chose that hill to die on, is what I'm getting at. I'm not saying I would have died on that hill. I certainly would not have. But I can see why oh, they so chose it. So in the it. words of Chris Rock, it's very much the, you don't condone it, but you understand. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Uh, and that was my last question. So back to you, Sam. Awesome. Uh, before we go, um, we're, Constance has some trivia for us. To you, Constance. Okay. Well, as part of our Fans of the Dragon segment, Uzma and I will talk about fan engagement. Uh, and today's trivia question is, during the segment on Fire and Blood, what award did Sam say that Magor would win? Uh, we talked about quite a bit, a few things here, but uh, about the different kings. But what, what award is it that Magor would be most likely to succeed in? So... That's your trivia question for this week. Uh, Uzma, you've got a poll for us? Yeah. The poll for this week was, which Targaryen king up until the dance do you think is the most interesting one? And the winner of this poll is the old king Jaehaerys with 37%. But Aegon the Conqueror is really close with 34%. (laughs) So, yes, definitely he was the best king as we have already discussed it earlier. All right. Yeah, I think we had I think we all had our reasons to name him as our as the favorite. So it's not too surprising that the fans would agree with us there. Uh, But now, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again. Who's that that dragon? (laughs) That was actually close. That was not bad. Uh, pale of skin with silver scales and fire as white as lightning, the smaller-sized dragon bonded with Prince Aeneas, heir to the Conqueror. As the hatchling grew, so did the prince. Aeneas became king when his father died, and he took his majestic dragon on progress to the delight of the small folk. But when Heron the Red took Heron Hall, claiming it as his birthright, the prince refused to scorch the already baked remains with pale dragon fire. When Aeneas the Indecisive died, Megar Targaryen became king, and this dragon remained locked in the dragon pit until a daring rescue by Aeneas' son, Aegon, claimed the base after so many years without a dragon of his own. In 43 AC, both the Silver Beast and Aegon died fighting Megar, who was riding Balerion in the battle beneath the god's eye. Balerion the Dread, largest of dragons, grabbed our dragon's throat with his claws and then ripped off a wing from its body in midair, sending the Pale Beast to its death along with young Aegon. Rider and dragon both killed. Today's Dragimon is Quicksilver. And with that, toss it back to you, Sam. Awesome. Thank you. Well, that is our episode. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at AWPOIAF and Twitter at Ice and Fire Party. And email us at watchpartyoficeandfire at gmail.com. If you're watching on YouTube, feel free to comment below. A massive thank you to our producer, Jordan Reynolds, for editing and putting the episode together. Long may he reign. Uh, This has been a production of the Watch Party Network. Be sure to check out our friends at Watch Party Lord of the Rings and Watch Party Wheel of Time, releasing episodes every Tuesday. Thank you so, so much for joining us. We are your hosts, Solar. Valar Morghulis. Constance. Fire and Blood. Uzma. Vela Mogulis. Morgan. Have a good one, everybody. (laughs) And myself, Sam Valamogulis.